Welcome to Rogue Bros. This is episode 43. This is actually take two of the intro after I completely butchered and stuttered Mike Procopio. But welcome to the show. I'm Andrew Bogut. Mike Pro, how's it going? Ah, oh, fan fucking tastic after that after that debacle of a fucking recording that you tried <laughs> about three minutes ago. But no, everything's good, man. Just uh enjoying the weekend, brother. Yeah, it's always good. Always good to put the feet up. Um NBA is a lot going on, man. It's uh we we've been I once again failed to talk about the Phoenix Suns the last couple of episodes. They've uh, we hit them a little bit early. We didn't think they'd do as well as they are this season again, or we don't think they'll make the finals again. But eleven straight, Javale McGee's been a real good pickup too. So I had to give him a shout out. He's he's um, started a few games, had a big night the other night with Aiden out. But uh, what do you see from them? It just seems like they haven't haven't missed a beat from last season. No, I got a chance to watch them uh, because they were on national TV against the Mavs. Uh, I don't get local Mavs games because of my cable company dropped Fox Sports. Long fucking story. But um, they're playing well, man. Like, they're comfortable. They're role players. They're just sort of – they're really confident and they just play hard. They they can go down early and then they don't they – don't, you know, you can't really – you can't really fuck with their confidence, man. And, you know, you got, you got CP doing his thing. We talked about JaVale McGee. Uh, I, you know, I've talked about JaVel McGee a bunch. Like, I think JaVel's a good player. When you give him parameters and say, look, this is what we need from you. This is what you cannot do. And I think he works well with that. If he just let him do whatever he wants, that's when, that's when he's on Shaq in the Fool almost every night. But if you like, if you just give him simple things that he needs to do on a regular basis, he's not bad. I mean, look at him in Golden State, you know, look at him in LA. Like, he's done pretty good things. And they're good, man. You know, obviously Book is playing at a high level. Jay Crowder, you know, DeAndre Ayton, you know, and those two games against Dallas were good. They're a good, fun, energetic team to watch. And you know what? They're going to give people a run for their money. I was totally wrong about them coming into the season. Yeah, I mean, they they haven't missed a beat. Like they they've just continued to surge in the right direction. I think they're they're playing team ball. Chris Paul still looks. Fantastic for a guy his age. Um, Devin Booker's gotten better again, it seems. He's, he's making some some big plays for him. But, yeah, they've got a good balance on him. So, yeah, I had to give them a shout-out. I, I still don't – I don't know. The West The West looks open for the most part besides Golden State. You don't really know who, who else is going to be there. And they're definitely going to be up the top. So, Golden State, the clear front runners right now. But the, the West is pretty wide open. Um, so, the East is too. The East is even closer. And this is, I want to get into this as well. From the 10th seed to the first seed in the East currently is Three and a half games pro, and that's Milwaukee in ten. You know they they, they are three and a half games out of one. The East is going to be fun to, to till the end of the, till the end of of the regular season and the playoffs. I think it's anyone's ball game. There's probably a few teams we can put a line through, but it's wide open in, in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, it really is. There's a lot of teams that are surprising. You know, obviously we talked about Cleveland and Washington in, in prior episodes, but you get Charlotte, you know, hanging in there at 10 and 7. You get some teams that are a little bit surprising as far as like underachieving. You get the Celtics, you get the Bucks, you get Atlanta, um, Indiana to a certain extent, even though they were beating the shit out of New Orleans earlier to this evening. But like, yeah, it, there, it's some surprises. It's, it's, it's a fun, you know, it's a fun conference. You get the Miami Heat doing their thing. We talked about Chicago before. You know, Brooklyn's doing it basically, you know, without one of their best players. So it's, uh, it'll be an entertaining year and it'll be very entertaining to see who locks up that, you know, those 10 spots, you know, because there's going to be a fight from probably eight and a half to 11 
as far as like those seedings and the at the end of the season. Yeah, there is. And Brooklyn's now number one, um, but but barely uh, Miami two, Chicago three. I think those three will remain somewhere in that top four or five. I believe. I think Milwaukee's the only other one if they go on a run that can come and challenge. And Philly with Embiid coming back, the Wizards have slid a little bit. They've gone six and four in their last ten. Um, Charlotte's in the middle, but it's. It's literally two or three, a two or three uh, swing of bad games, good games can completely flip the conference. So it's fun to watch. Atlanta's starting to surge. They've won three straight, um, four and six in their last 10. We spoke about them last week about a bit of concern, but now they've bumped up to seven and nine. They're a little bit of an easier schedule the last couple of games. Um, they did get Boston, I think, but um, that'll be fun to watch. I wanted to give me your thoughts around who if you had to pick today and you got to pick one who in the top 10 from each conference is do you put a line through who's going to fall out of the top 10 from each conference well sexton's out for the year for cleveland so i'm probably going to say cleveland they 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 started really hot they're nine and eight currently sexton's out with a leg injury i think it's a knee and he's out for the year i just think it's hard i'm not a big sexton fan but he does put up numbers it's he's a tough guy he'll be a tough guy to 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 replace on that team for sure i think he's averaging about 16 you know 16 for them and he he does provide you know a, a tough player to match up against so if i had a pick right now somebody in the east to drop out it's probably going to be them what yeah, about you folks that's that's probably the most sensible pick um, Cleveland, obviously, they, they they started off really well. It's just so open and hard to pick, I think. I think Atlanta is going to be, which will go to my next question, they're going to be the one that's going to jump into the 10. Um, Toronto's still a possibility as well. I don't love Boston, but I think they'll be there just because it's 10. If you said, I don't think Boston make the eight, no, I don't think they would in traditional year, but with the plane, I think they're in the 10. So I think Cleveland's fair enough. And that leads me to our next question in the East. Who from that yeah, do we even have to discuss this? I guess who from that bottom five would you pick if you had to pick one to bounce up Atlanta, right? Yeah, I would say Atlanta uh, for sure. I, I think you know Toronto's hanging in there. You know, Scotty Bonds there, who who might be you know up there for Rookie of the Year this year is playing great basketball, but you can't really expect them to stay on top for you know for what they have roster wise. Atlanta, I think, like you said, they're sort of starting to do it, and there's a lot of season to be played left. I think they have something like sixty six games left. Uh, or something like that. So, you know, they have a lot of time to sort of get it together to sort of to jump up two spots. They're only a game out right now. I'm not a huge Boston fan. Schroeder's actually playing really well for them, carrying them on top, you know, besides Tatum, of course. But um, I think Atlanta, if there's anyone who's going to sort of put it in a high gear, look, Detroit and Orlando are out. Um, Indiana, even though they started out six and 11, you know, I think they'll probably, they could jump up a spot or two, you know, possibly three to, to the 10 seed. But I think if anyone's going to really make a big run at this, it's probably going to be Atlanta. I, th- I agree with you. Yeah, it's fair enough. It's, I think it's the most sensible. Toronto may be a dark horse as well. They do play some good team basketball. Um, a little bit of an injury bug there, though. In the West, same question. It'll probably be for me. Um, the obvious one is OKC Thunder. I think they're higher than even they thought they would be <laughs> at this point. I don't think they would have been in the 10 seed. But when I look, so if I pick uh, OKC as my one team that I think could bounce out of that top 10. If I had to pick one, I'm struggling out of the bottom five uh, with who would go up because they are some bad teams. Houston, New Orleans, we can put a line through for the most part. San Antonio, so got one wrong. I had them in my 10. 
I just thought they'd scrape in with um, just with the house at the Spurs build. It's not looking good. Look, they're only they're only a couple of games behind that ten spot, so it's still realistic. But I, they, they don't look good. They look janky. Sacramento just can't figure it out, and Minnesota. I just I just don't like Minnesota. I just think they're they're still they have a huge identity crisis with who they're trying to be and whose team they are and all that bullshit. So if I had to pick one from that bottom five, I'd probably say I'd probably still say San Antonio. <laughs> That's crazy as that sounds. They're four and eleven, but I did look at their schedule. They've got a rough ten coming up as well, so they they could be in some trouble. But I'm just waiting for that that rodeo uh, road trip they go on when they usually surge and pop. You know, has a, a bottle of wine a day and they find some they find something to win some games. But look, it'd be OKC and San Antonio would be the flip flop for me. What about yourself? You know, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go a little. Outside my comfort zone here, I'm going to say the Lakers drop out of the tent. No way. Yeah, I'm going to say, now look, I'm probably fucking wrong on this one. No doubt about it. But you know what? The league's not letting that happen, bro. There's no chance. Dude, I don't like what I see out of that fucking team. I don't. They got to go full, like, 86 Celtics as far as, like, you know, they got to go... Totally, those three guys got to play out of their asses just to compete with average teams. And they're an injury away, folks, from being really fucked. You know, you got Anthony Davis in injury history. You got, you know, and Wes, you know, LeBron's had, you know, LeBron's been banged up a little bit. Their role players haven't been very good. Look, if I I would probably say, you know, the safe bet's probably Portland to fall out of the 10, you know, for me. But I'm going to go Lakers. There's something wrong with that team. I don't know what it is. Chemistry, feel, what have you. And I'm probably going to be wrong on this one. But you know what? Fuck it. I never go out on the edge with most of my picks. They're usually pretty conservative. I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with the Lakers dropping out of the tent. Now, it's probably going to be Lake. Uh, it's probably going to be Minnesota. It's probably going to be, you know, OKC, whatever. I think OKC is a 10. They're, they're tied with, they're tied with Minnesota, I believe. But I'm going to go with Lakers. And the team that's going to drop to pop up. Yeah. Oklahoma City is not going to allow themselves to get, in, you know, get up in the playoffs. They're, they're definitely going to try to, you know, get, you know, trying to get to the 13 seed in the, in the conference. I don't think they're going to be able to catch New Orleans or Houston. And I, I don't trust Sacramento's guys. I don't think they're good enough to really make that jump. I think they're, you know, besides like Harrison Barnes, there's really not a lot of players that I really trust in that team. And yeah, so a team that's going to go so up. So out of the five, who would you pick out of the bottom five then? Because okay, season 10 right now, they're in the playoffs as of today. Yeah. You've got Minnesota, Sacramento, San Antonio, New Orleans, and Houston. Who would you pick? I go Minnesota, both. Yeah. I say Minnesota will get into that. You know, San Antonio, folks, like, they're just janky. Like yeah, they are. the young player, yeah, the young players just aren't very good. They're okay, you know. And then they they picked up a couple of nice vets in free agency, but I just don't. I don't see it. I tried. I watched them a few times, and I just don't see it. They I lost, don't they see lost those a guys. few games that, at, at the wire though early on. They could easily be you know six and nine right now. Maybe even more. Maybe you know seven and eight. They did lose some games early on. I think they'll steal some games. When the, the season gets to the the mud the mud running stage where it's just quicksand and everyone's tired, they'll probably steal a few games. But I just don't trust Minnesota. I just don't. I just, I yeah. just you know, I think they just they're, they're talented. Um, they have no identity. Nothing. I don't know what they are right now. Are they a go to towns? Are they a Edwards? I don't know if you saw the vision of of Anthony Towns <laughs> getting back on defense as mid mid 
Edward's ISO, which was hilarious. Oh, no. Yeah, so yeah. Edward's had it on the wing. As soon as he caught it, you just see um, Anthony Towns on the opposite wing start running back on defense before he even get, like, taken a shot. He was crossover, crossover, crossover. You just see the dude running out of the screen. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, there's, there's obviously an issue there. Hopefully, they figure it out. It'd be nice to see them actually have some success. But the Lakers, I don't think, are falling out of the 10. I, 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 think they, nah. I don't think they're nah. in their championship. Definitely, I agree with that. I think that they've got an old roster, which we mentioned preseason. What are they? Are they, you know, that's why I always had a question mark around Russ and LeBron together because of usage. LeBron's a high usage guy. If, he, if he's not scoring, he's assisting. That's just been his career, and, and rightfully so. He's one of the best players of all time. You bring Russ in that um, that conversation, and it's the same thing. Russ's success of triple doubles is his usage. He, if he's not scoring, he's passing, he's creating. So you got two of those guys. You ask him one of them now on the floor to be more of a role player. They're both not great shooters from three feet set shooters that you wouldn't you know you wouldn't really use them as a spot up. LeBron's gotten better from three. Russ, you'd, you'd live with him shooting, you know, winning a game. With his three-point shot, so their defense isn't great. They're, you know, Melo has provided a decent spark for him actually, and, and Monk's been okay. But um, they need, yeah, they need some more. It just seems like you know you, you've got that championship hangover two years later, and it just doesn't. It just doesn't. I don't know. That roster is a strange roster, but we'll we'll watch that space. But I think that's fair enough. I think um, I'm San Antonio. You've got Minnesota. We'll watch that space and and see what OKC does. Whether they want to they want to get a pick or. Maybe uh, still a playing game. That'll be interesting. All right, let's move on to Ben Simmons again. Now, this one, this is an interesting conversation. So our friend at the house is Strauss Sherwood. Uh, we'll give you Substack a plug again. He, he There was a bombshell that went relatively unnoticed in that article, Pro, and we talked about it in the group chat. There's two stories in his article, so I urge you to check it out. You'll need to pay, so um, you can't be like yeah. me and get a freebie or you know just be like Pro and, and – Swipe your credit card. But uh, there's two stories Fucking in here that, that he went through. And, and look, the Substack article is great. I highly recommend him. He, he, he writes outside of the norm at times, which is great, and, and different perspectives on things, which I like. But number one is the chess moves by Rich Paul with the mental health stuff, with, which we've spoken about before. I guess there's the back and forth. The NBA has... Uh, post DeMar DeRozan had um, coming out saying that he had mental health issues a couple of seasons ago and talking about how he was depressed and, and all that. The NBA went on an initiative to promote you know mental health um, help and all that kind of stuff. So Rich Paul's used that somewhat in this whole debate to try and get him out of Philly. He, he breaks that down pretty nicely. That's one story. The second story, which went relatively unnoticed by national media, was he basically got word that the NBA – is subtly and quietly supporting Philadelphia not not allowing Ben to just be traded and fining him for not playing. And the NBA is on the boat with Philly of wanting them to draw a line in the sand and just sit him for the whole season and not trade him. That's gone unnoticed. And that this is from um you know, Ethan's article is is quoted you know, from his sources, he has some pretty good sources in the league. This isn't made up. Where the NBA's concern is, what does a contract mean if you let Ben Simmons walk right now and go to wherever he wants? It's different if you're going into an expiring contract, you're John Wall, you're whoever it may be, just time to move on. You've done your four or five years with the team you signed your extension with. This is a whole different circumstance. He's in year, what is he, in year two of his, of his big extension. The argument then becomes, let's say Zion Williamson, he signs at the max Gets that bump up, which we've spoken about. Gets that bump up because it's the home team. It's the it's the max deal with your home team, and then ask for a trade. So arguably, he couldn't get that money from somewhere else in free agency because they couldn't afford to pay him as much. But he's got that and now. Wants to move, but you know the capper on all this is the rumor is the NBA 
wants Philly to completely hold out, which kind of explains why Daryl Morey has used the language that he's used that I don't really give a shit. I'll sit him for four years. I mean, what are your thoughts around that? It's a very complicated issue. Um, as far as the league being behind it, they're going to have to be behind it because the fact that, look, like we know the players are the superstars. We know the players, you know, really make this team, this league go because they're the, in the entertainment business. But you can't hold teams hostage whenever you want to. It's, a, it's unprofessional and it puts the teams at a really bad way because right when they find out that a player wants to get traded, right away the trade value on most of these deals are going to go, you know, not in the team's favor. So like these other teams that want to trade, they're not going to give top dollar for these players. You know, in this trade, because they know the player wants to get out. He's forcing his way out and he's going to get him. He's going to get them out. So the, the, you know, the, this is all these teams have as far as leverage. They got picks and they got players in these trades and these deals they can make and to build their rosters. So if you're automatically going to say, well, we're going to sign this guy to a max deal and automatically a year into it, he says, I want out and there's nothing you can do. I'll just shut it down. Trade me. Well, the team's going to be like, what the fuck? Like, it's going to start really devaluing these franchises in the sense that the moves they can make, nobody's safe. It's the wild, wild west. It's fucking, you know, it's it's Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. Like, you know, when is this craziness going to stop? Well, contracts but, contracts then written on toilet paper essentially. If that if that's continued yeah. to be allowed, it's just not right. Let me read the I'll, I'll read the par- few paragraphs which give some um, color and context around what I'm talking about. There's a secret partner in this standoff. One only too happy to watch the Sixers play bad cop. It's Adam Silver's NBA, finally imposing a limit on play- player empowerment excesses. So basically, said that Adam Silver is all for this. He, Adam Silver just does not want to be seen as taking a side on this publicly, though he clearly has one. Why is Silver shy about representing where he's at on this? While the NBA has feared criticisms might arise from any perceived mistreatment, preferring the Sixers to act as a lightning rod, fears of Simmons' proactive backlash may have been overblown, though. The common reception of his grievances reminds of Burt Cooper's line of who cares. So the fans certainly don't. He goes on to talk about Rich Paul a little bit, but it's it's such a valid point, and it's 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 scary times for Ben Simmons, and, and I'm incorrect. He's in the second year of his deal. He has uh, four years left on a five-year contract, which is a total value of 177 million and Strauss then goes on to note which we were just talked about in 2019 he signed the type of extension that's specifically designed for a player to maximize his earnings by staying with the team that drafts the player if Simmons is able to withhold services until he gets what he wants then contracts have no meaning and bang on man that's a be all and end all we've spoken about this before um, but this has generally been James Harden it's generally been um, guys towards the end of their contracts end of their tenure this is a unique circumstance that the NBA hasn't faced yet um, where a guy signs that big deal and then wants out a year later it's not looking good and and I'm I'm quite interested to see that you know the leverage now is bouncing back towards Philly um, do other teams even bother making an offer knowing now unless we offer something that's A plus grade they're not even going to listen because they're just going to sit the kid on the flip side what does Ben Simmons do if they do sit him do you think if they if it gets past trade deadline does he make a return for Philly Pro or is that ship sailed I think that it at some point, he's going to have to come back, folks. And this deal, this deal with the league being behind Philly doesn't help Philly. It doesn't help anybody. Both of these parties are fucked because the more this guy doesn't play, the more fucking, you know, the more of a stink cloud that goes over this whole deal. 
teams aren't, no legitimate team's going to want this guy. None. Like the only ones that are going to want him are these bottom feeder teams that can't get anybody to come, you know, to their franchise. And they're just going to say, fuck it. We need this guy because he's like, at least he's an asset. And as far as the play, like the team's concerned, the more he doesn't play, the less value he gets. And I think the the more like these trades are just going to stay the same. You're going to get the same level of trade going forward than you have than you're going to have today. I don't think it's going to get much less because I think the kid's going to be even with this over his head. He's probably still going to be a top thirty, top forty player. You're still going to get some type of value for him, but. It's not going to help anybody by this guy not playing. He's going to need to play, you know, if because if, if Nwore is going to put you know, you know put both feet in, they're going to need to play because look, this team is sort of not. They they started off hot. They're right now. They're like they're losing some games. I know Embiid's been out, you know, but like you know, they're going to need this guy because now they're sitting on a thirty million dollar asset that they're just sitting on the bench, even though they're 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 really good young players that. The scouts drafted that Morey fired that they're sort of keeping them afloat, you know, with some of the players they have on their roster. They're going to need something else. And this guy sitting there, he either could help them or he, if somebody else could help them, they could trade him for. And they're going to have to do something. So if they're not going to trade the kid, I think the kid's going to have to play because you're not going to force your way out of town. You know, obviously we've seen this if the league's behind it. And your value's not going anywhere, so you've got to do something. And the only way you're going to have value, folks, is fucking playing in game. Yeah, I, I think he doesn't play pre-deadline. Um, I, I think he's he's on that on that wagon of getting out at all costs. My question would be, what if he's not moved pre-deadline? What if it, what if he's still a Philadelphia 76er as the deadline passes? Does he then say, as much as I hate what's going on, I hate a few of my teammates, I don't like my head coach and his comments, I hate Daryl Morey, do I now need to just go and play and try to make a playoff run with Philly. That's more my question, whether he even does that. Um, because, yeah. I mean, right now, like you said, yeah, to get his value up and get out of there, the best thing would be to play and show that your mental health is okay, everything's doing well, you can still run up and down a court, you're in decent shape. My question is mm-hmm. after, can he swallow his pride and, and, and show up? Um, albeit knowing what that 76 crowd is going to do to him, pro, for, for however many home games they have left. Yeah, it's not the shooting that's going to kill him. It's not you – know, even the attitude. Look, there's there's a lot of guys with huge fucking attitudes and, and, and just assholes in the league. There's just a lot of them. But it's his way that he deals with adversity. That's the thing that this kid has to get over because all of these things, all of these flaws that are people are pointing at, it all stems back to that. Anytime this kid has had any adversity, he really – he just floundered. He really you know, He really went south. In most situations, in college, in pros, the whole national team thing. Like you could point at a million examples. This is what he's got to deal with. I'll save him $3 million in fucking in sports psychologists and bills. You got to learn how to deal with adversity. When shit, when you get punched in the face, what the fuck are you going to do? Most players going to have to sink or they're going to have to swim. He's going to have to deal with this. So... If he's dealing with the Philly guys calling him an asshole now or a month from now or a year from now, he's going to have to deal with yeah, it. It's not going to matter. 
hidings, yeah, exactly. You got to face it, and it's, yeah, it's the hardest thing. You know, I remember going back to Milwaukee for my first game with Golden State, knowing how that all ended, and I was worried about that. But I didn't play that first game, but I still sat on the bench and took all the shit that I copped. And that's just something you once you do it, you know, once you've done it and you don't respond and you get through it, people will kind of get over it after game two, three, four, five. But that first game, boy, I mean, that might be worth you flying to. You can do a, a rogue bogues live from the uh, from the audience because it's going to be hilarious. Um, Let's do it. Whether he's a home player or an away player so we we've said it from the start we wish him all the best i hope it all works out but it's you know that that is a bombshell in my opinion that the, the league is quietly in support of philly not playing him that they're, they're, they're you know this isn't about yep you don't play him till you trade him we support that no no no, no. they're in support about saying we're just going to sit you for the whole year you can rot you can just rot on the bench um or, or on your couch at home we're going to keep finding the, the shit out of you which they're doing again and the nba is in full support of it because they know this is this is a watershed moment bro this is what people don't understand this is a big moment in contractual disputes and and the, the players association and the cba and the league because the next cba is going to be very very interesting bro because they're going to there's going to be some some shit that's going to hit the players in the face coming from owners and GMs that they're not going to like and the union's going to be they better be ready because there's going to be something in there that's going to give owners and GMs more security than they currently have which is zero so that's going to be interesting when that when that whole debate fires up again and the big fight's going to be Bogues I think too on the player side to the to the management first of all with this whole John Wall thing I'm hearing conflicting reports I'm hearing that he says he's not going to play until he's traded or bought out or whatever or traded I don't think he's going to take a buyout but like, okay, so for the players, I think their biggest gripe would be, you know, look, them shutting things down and, and holding teams hostage. We all know that that happens. But then their fight is going to be what happens when these guys just tell us to go home and mm-hmm. quote unquote, I still want to play, but they're just telling me to go home. I'm a bad fit. See, I think the two things that, that the league has going to have to deal with are the, the players that hold these guys hostage with if they want to get out of town. And the second thing is the teams that just tell these guys to go home, you know, because they're quote unquote bad fits. That's the problem with the contract, right? Like the contract's fully guaranteed. You negotiated for this deal that you wanted. You got this really good deal. In most cases, it fares with the player, not the team. So you get this deal. The only problem is now the team could, you know, however they feel fit, they could use you. They could use you. They could play you to the fullest extent. They could tell you to fuck off and bring you off the bench. There's no guarantee of what they need to do with your contract. They already paid you. So where does the, like, trust lie, Bogues? You know, as a player, if they're saying, hey, Bogues, we're just not going to play you and we don't have a trade for you right now. We just want you to go home. How are you feeling as a player? Are you feeling like, hey, fuck it, like we negotiated this deal, I'm getting my money, but like you want to play and you want to go somewhere where you could be used. It's really, it's not a black and white issue is what I'm saying. It's like, there's a lot of gray in this stuff, you know? Yeah, and that was brought up in our Q&A, which will, which will run hopefully a few of those on this podcast um, from calling, from the calling app, but that was brought up. It was like, you know, um, we had a question around that, that it's not comparable. Some people think it's not. I mean, there is there is a correlation to an extent, but it's not. It's definitely not 50-50. I think, you know, John Wall is still getting paid at the end of the day, and we don't know what's – I think Houston's been pretty professional by not making too much comment about it. Like you said, you've heard conflicting stories around it, so we don't know where the truth lies probably in the middle. But, yeah, there, there needs to be somewhat – some cover because the, the 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 union and they're just going to come out and say, well, if 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 a player signs an extension and then wants to hold out until he's traded, why can a team say 
well, John Wall, we're sitting you until you're traded. But that's a trickier one to manage because what if a coach just says, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna play you token. We're gonna we're gonna play you ten minutes." So everything's per the rule, you know. Everyone's going to manipulate shit, right? It's like the it's like when teams rest guys now. They don't write rest; they write flu, or they write, you know, because they're going to get fined, right? So that's easy to manipulate. But I think the other way is just after signing an extension, don't sign the extension. That's my point. Like if you don't want to stay in Philly, I like the penalty that we've discussed. Like if you if you're Ben Simmons right now, you sign that 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 rookie extension with your team, which gives you a bump of fifteen or twenty percent odd. Let's say um, if you want to get traded, you wipe that twenty percent off the total of your deal for the next team instantly and that goes back to Philly. Actually, that actually goes back to Philly or something along those lines, right? So, Portland takes Ben Simmons' contract in full and then 15 to 20% of it, whatever that that extension mark is, goes back to Philly. Then then you'd have a different conversation because then you're like, okay, you've got some skin in the game if you want out. You're losing 15 to 20% of your total check. Philly then has some insurance and we get some cash back in this deal as well. And the, the team trading for him needs to eat a bit more. You know, it's, it's the total of the salary. So, I think that's the fairest way to go. Um, but I doubt the NBA does that um, to fix it. No, this is not. It's not a way, Bogues, where you can like look. As a player, you got to do. You got to be a professional. You got to do your job every day, regardless if you're playing forty minutes a night or four minutes a night. As a team, you got to try to treat that player as professionally as possible. Try to evaluate. Uh, like both sides are going to do what's best for them, themselves, and that's a, just a tough relationship, right? And there's no way, like, if, if a player signs a deal and then two years later the teams are, like, trying to lose and they don't want to win games and they're trying to move you and they want to play this young kid that they just drafted, this is a tough situation with the Philly thing because it's never really been happening. I think that he wanted to be there. I think when he signed the extension, he was fine. I just think this whole playoff thing really fucked him up. You know, like, fucked his whole deal up. And it fucked their deal up, their relationship with the kid and the kid's relationship with the team. And then this is why he wants to get out. So, I don't think he signed that deal knowing he wanted to leave. But who knows? I'm not a mind reader. I agree with that. Um, yeah, I think that's – yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Everything was rosy and, and great when he signed yeah. his extension. But, you know, then you can have players in the future manipulating it. So, there needs to be a hard rule around it. They need to figure out a rule that – um like our suggestion or something else that if you sign, there needs to be a penalty that if you do that, you're losing, you're losing some of your bottom line or the fact that you need to, you know, you don't get paid at all until you start playing the games um, at the end of the day. So, you know, and, yeah. and but then then becomes that pissing contest of trying to get traded and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not playing until you trade me, but yeah, for a player to do that in the first year of his rookie extension, I don't, I don't <laughs> we'd have to, Maybe get stat views to look it up, but um, I don't know anyone anyone that's done that in the first year of their rookie extension. Um, this is a this is a first, I believe, and that's where the, that's why I think the NBA is quietly involved in pushing Philly to to, to not budge on on their demand. So we we'll watch that space. Wishing the best. All right, Ennis Can has clipped the King Pro, um, which has been you know it's made news over the last couple of weeks. He's been slowly needling him along the way. For those not familiar, Ennis Cantor has basically said that. Uh, Called out LeBron James and said, "Look, you, you you pretend to care about social justice. This is his quotes, um, but it's money over morals for the king. Did you educate yourself about slave labor? Basically saying that you know you you wear Nikes, your company engages in slave labor. You don't say anything about that, but you promote every other social justice cause. Um, that's I guess not going to affect you or your brand or your money." LeBron's reply. He was asked about it. Uh, the reply was was it was a nothing reply. And 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 in fairness, he can't. LeBron knows that he cannot reply um, because if he says anything that's – even if it's something like, oh, you know, look, some of the 
I look into some of the practices about making my shoes in China. China will cancel him just for that. So he can't he can't answer it. So his answer was more going after Ennis personally, saying he walked by me, he had a chance to address me as a man, basically calling him a pussy, essentially. But what are your thoughts? I, I think, look, as, as much of a drama as this is, I think Ennis is spot on. I've, I've been vocal about this from the start that you, you can't if you're if you're going to take the the podium of, of of voicing you know slave labor and and um, you know social justice issues. They're pretty similar no matter what country you're looking. Human rights violations are human rights violations. So if you're gonna if you're gonna put your words on the table about one issue, then if it's a similar human rights violation, you should have the same thought process. But obviously he's muzzled because he's paid so much money from China. So Ennis has a, a point, a hundred hundred and ten percent in my opinion. Should he go about it this way? Is probably what what's up for discussion. But what are your thoughts around it? Well, the first thing that's going to come about is they're going to like go back in time. And, and watch Ennis throughout his career wear Nikes throughout most of his yeah. career. So, so if he's got a Kentucky, problem with right? Nike. He was Kentucky too, yeah, right? Well, so the Nike no, his, yeah, in the NBA, yeah, he played in their game. Like he was involved with them early on. I, and I'll give it to him. He was a young kid. So then, look, everybody knows about the practices of, you know, the, the, the Nikes, you know, deal in the Philippines and other places in Asia and stuff. We, we know, all know that. But the thing is, like, Ennis wore Nike throughout his whole career and almost all his NBA career. And also, I want to know if Ennis is making $95 million a year or so, whatever LeBron's making from Nike. I want to know if he would have the same views. That's the thing. It's it, Look, we all know there's a million there's a million things he could fight for. There's a million injustices that are happening around the world. And I get it. You know, if LeBron wants to step up on one, he probably has to step up on more than one, You know, especially if they're similar. But... Look, I'm not going to tell a person how to feel, what have you. I just want to, like, I think most people that say this stuff, I want to know if it was flipped, if he would have the same belief system. Are you going to say no to $95 million a year or whatever Nike's paying LeBron, you know, to, to, to sweep some things under the rug in your thought process? Plus, like, Google's been around a long time. You wore Nike your whole career and you've been this sort of spokesperson for, you know, like what Ennis has been throughout his whole career trying to be outspoken about this stuff. Well, you knew about Nike. Everybody, I knew about Nike when I was in high school about that stuff that happened. Well, he still wore Nike. So well, I don't like, think he was, uh, he's been probably outspoken what the last probably four or five years though, arguably. Like uh, yeah. early on, he, he you, you didn't hear shit about him um, off the court yeah. really. Um, but yeah, I think it's a fair point. I think, you know, if Ennis had the $90 million deal, it'd be a different conversation, but. I don't, yeah, I'm not trying to poke holes in anybody. Look, folks, I don't. Oh, no, it's fair though. Just, Look, it's fair. You, yeah. It's a fair point you make. You know, the money talks bullshit walks. If you're making 90 million, you'd shut the fuck up as well. But I guess at the end of the day, the point is then if you're going to pick and I just, this is how I yeah. see it, right? If I'm going to be an advocate for racism or, or sexism or social justice or mm -hmm. whatever, right? If there's let's say racism or sexism over here and I completely condemn it and I stand for to be against uh, sexism and racism, yeah. which everyone should, of course. But then if it's within my own company or it's within someone that sponsors me, I can't then turn a blind eye to that. And I think that's a valid point that Ennis makes. And that's your mm -hmm. the company that's sponsoring you. Everyone knows why. So it should be called out. Everyone knows why. They're paying you a shitload of money. So now you can turn a blind eye to the very thing that you're outspoken about when it doesn't affect you. That's the hypocrisy in all this as well. And I think that's whether you agree with the way Anis has done it, the shoe, painting his shoes, that he once wore Nikes, would he do it if it was 90? That's just, I think that we put that aside and we all have our, yeah. our, our opinion on that and, you, and you're probably right. My point is you can't pick and choose things like racism, when to fight for racism and sexism and when to not. 
That's just my that's my thought, and I think most people would agree with that. You can't pick and choose it. Oh, they're paying me a million. I'll, I'll turn my blind eye to slave labor now. Like that's perfectly fine. But oh, and no. that's most people, folks. It, like, it is. Most but it's people, wrong. It's yeah. wrong, and that's that's yeah. what's wrong with society. That we can get we can we can be bought out of our beliefs. We can be bought out of what we believe because the politician said it or Nike said it. Like Nike's genius in all this. And look, you know, I put on the table that they were a sponsor of mine for a number of years. I, I never even really thought about how the shoes were made or the clothes and never never gave it a second thought. Like I wore Nikes, I had Nike clothes, they paid me. That's But obviously further on into my career, you realize, yeah, they're, they're probably not the best practices of, of, of how shit shows up on your doorstep and how easy it is for us to order that there's, there's you know, actual people out there making that. But it's it's Nike's genius in all this. They've ran a bunch of advertisements around social justice, Kaepernick, you know, uh, equality. They had a famous soccer commercial with, you know, um, I think the LGBT community and, and, and all different causes, which is is what it is. But it's kind of then that's kind of somewhat shadowed what the hell they're doing overseas. It's kind of, you know, they've, they've funded all this, all this PR campaign about we're for equality. Just don't look over here, though. That's kind of the genius of of, of of a big corporation like Nike that we're for the cause, fist to the sky, but we do have little kids making our shit overseas. Just just, just don't talk about that because we are throwing money at this. So I, I think Ennis's point is valid. How he's gone about it, it's a whole different story. Could he be a bit hypocritical? Sure. But I, I don't think you can pick and choose social justice causes based on you know, oh, this is a sponsor or I'm not educated enough about it or, you know, everyone knows clear as day. It's the same as you know, iPhones and Androids and all that, all the screens where it's mined from, you know, there's there's, there's slave labor camps with kids set up, you know, um, and we all, we've all got phones, I guess. So I guess at the end of the day, we might be all hypocritical. No, I think, yeah. And I think there's two types of people in this, folks. I think it's the people that, A, if it affects them versus not affecting them. We talked about that. And the second one is like, they put all their energy into, you know, into one cause. And they don't want like that's like they can't fight every battle. I'm not saying whatever LeBron's doing, but like if yeah, you're right. These people who are really big on social justice should be big on social justice everywhere. But again, I think it all comes back to does it affect me or doesn't affect me? And and they're hypocritical in that. If you're gonna be big and outspoken about it, be outspoken about it everywhere. And I I, I agree where Ennis is coming from for there. Yeah, but no, like, that's my point. Like, it's like yeah, you can't, you, yeah. just, you just can't pick and choose it, and that's that's the hardest thing. You you could say some. I think back in the day, you could have hid behind. I don't know enough about it. It's overseas, but not with not with the internet, not with everything going on. It only take you five minutes to read what's what's happened overseas, and you know it's not a, it's not something that you need to send a telegram or a fucking pigeon overseas to <laughs> to get you some information, right? You know, but uh, right. Next question: Will Will Ennis Cantor be in the league next year? <laughs> <laughs> What do you think? Uh, he'll be in a he'll be in a league. I don't know about what league he's in. Well, he, he can't go you know. to China. <laughs> no, he can't go to China. Yeah, imagine he's signing China though. How funny would he it be? He can't go to Turkey. Oh, that would be f- like what if like three teams from China offers him like tw- fifteen million a year just to fucking boo the fuck out of him? Then he lands and disappears like that tennis player. <laughs> what happened? A tennis player disappeared. Apparently, um, there's a tennis player that uh, in China, Chinese tennis player. I'd have to find the name. No shit. Let me Google that while we're talking. But um, yeah, she she criticized the government official saying that he, um, Peng Shui, so saying that uh, she was essentially uh, sexually abused or sexual misconduct with, with someone um, in politics in China. And ever since then, she's like, they no one's seen her. 
Um, so then the, the oh no shit yeah the World Tennis Association a bunch of people Serena Williams have all said like hashtag like where is she what the hell's going on and then the, the, the government released a video which is supposedly her and so it's like, like literally she hasn't been seen in public um, so the government then released the video saying oh no she's fine here's a video and the video is kind of like apparently it's like insufficient people are saying it's like you know it could be could be edited <laughs> like so oh fuck yeah just note, if you're in China, do not speak out about the government at any cost. And I can I can vouch for that because I had a few bolts thrown at my head during games. So not the best position to be in. Jeez. Crazy. Well, I, I feel really I really I feel really great about talking about it now. If you don't hear from me, Bogues, just you know, it's been a fun 43, 42 and a half episodes. Oh, if, I'm, if I'm still alive after what I said and went through, you'll be right. Don't worry about it. Appreciate you. All right, next one we're going to. This one was uh this is an interesting one. NBA general managers forming an association to support executives amid the Portland Trailblazers investigation, sources say. You sent me this one. This, that was via ESPN. So they're trying to form their own union, right? They um, League GMs have formed a, uh, a steering committee to create a constitution, opened an LLC, which is a, a company um, in the US, similar in Australia, or PTYLTD, and informed the league office of their intentions to form a group similar in purpose and structure to the National Basketball Coaches Association, sources said. So I guess they have a worry dozens of executives told espn the portland's internal probe has stoked fears that organizations can make decisions to fire top basketball executives for any number of traditional reasons team performance personality conflicts deferring philosophies and search simultaneously for ways to pursue cause violations in contracts so what that basically means dumbed down if you find cause to fire someone kind of like what um, all has been uh, investigated for you can fire them without pay so what the what the, this union is trying to form with the general managers is we need to protect ourselves because what's to stop a team just getting five people to come together within the organization saying this guy said bad things to me they harassed me and he's got three years at 15 million left see you later buddy we're not giving you any of your money because of course so man it just the drama just continues in the nba it's never a dull moment but i i kind of agree with the premise of what they're putting together because this can this can be an issue down the line where, you know, you sign a GM to a long-term deal, you realize, holy shit, he's bad. God knows what can happen, what, what teams will do, to, what owners will do. We know we spoke about last week, Sava and how stingy and cheap he is at times. Donald Sterling, probably not the best examples to give, but they're shrewd businessmen that will try to save a dollar wherever they can. You can't tell me that they won't try to, you know, use that rule to their advantage, bro. Yeah, I, I think it's just they need some coverage. Like, I think they're, you know... The money goes towards like legal, um, trying to get them legal help, PR firms to try to help them. Because look, just like players, like GMs only have a certain amount of time where they're relevant. And look, it's bad enough if you lose games and get fired to derail your career. But imagine, you know, you get caught up on charges about bad work environments, hostile work environments. You know, especially now that it's been coming out more and more, and that's gonna that's gonna be a hot topic and a hot button, a catchphrase that's gonna be used for years now, and it it, it could derail your career. They could hold your money. It's a it's a fucked up situation, but that's just the league, and the league is hey, how do I get leverage? How do I leverage that into the, as many contracts and how much money in years as much as I can, and then until they get me, and look, owners. Look, this whole thing stems from O'Shea wanting, you know, wanting Chauncey Billups and she wanted Becky Hammond and he won the argument, but she was going to win the war. Mm. And that's basically, that's basically it. And, you know, Bogues, like, look, in every walk of life, every job that you have, you're going to have confrontation. You're going to have hard conversations. You're going to get yelled at when you fuck up. Like, 
So what constitutes a hostile work environment? That you yell at somebody? That you scream at somebody? That you call them a motherfucker once in a while? Like, it, that's the thing. And that's the, that's the thing that I get. Like, what is a hostile work environment? And are you going to get a, a GM fired for it? And look, if, you, if you're throwing stuff at people and threatening them and doing some, like, really fucked up shit, I get that's a hostile work environment. You know, I've seen that happen close up. I'm saying, like, like, but if you're just getting yelled at, is that a hostile work that's environment? That's what I mean. Who defines hostile, especially in 2021? Hostile could be, yeah. hey, uh, Jimmy, you fucked up. Like, you need, to, you need to do better tomorrow. Have a, have a good night, but think about it and prove tomorrow. Oh, my God. He said, fuck, that's hostile. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's- <laughs> That's the problem these days. It's like hostile can be in the eye of the beholder, just like beauty. It can be, you know, it's subjective. It's, it's, you know, hey. uh, has that person that you use that word with had a bad history with that word from a father or from a coach in the past? I mean, who knows? I'm clutching at straws here, but Jesus, like, yeah, it definitely goes to the eye of the beholder and that, that becomes a very slippery slope. Yeah. Darren Ehrman had it right when he recorded Mark Jackson. You know, like, <laughs> I, I think you should fucking record everybody. This way, everybody knows. Like, everybody is on the up and up now. I love that behind-the-scenes, mic'd-up bullshit because everybody knows there's a camera in their face, so they're going to fucking yeah, act. exactly. Mark Jackson. Yeah, Mark Jackson <laughs> wasn't acting. That was really behind-the-scenes. That was actual uncut. reality uncut, TV. Uncut, uncut. Yeah. That's reality <laughs> TV. And the only one who got cut was fucking Darren Irvin from that. But my thing is, look, if everybody's recording, that, then everybody's good. But, like, you know... That's the thing. Nobody knows. It's he said versus she said. And you know that once there's once this shit gets rolling, there's no way you're going to get out of it. But like to take somebody's money is, you know, it's- It's a fair it's, point. Uh, though. I see why they're forming the union. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of unions myself, yeah. but I, I see why they're forming a coalition because this this could lead down another road of, 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 of teams trying to save- Save on a GM's contract and moving them on for cause, and then it leaves it leaves that GM having to get some some cash together to fight his cause for the money that he should be um, due. You know, you move to a city, you set yourself up, you got a five year deal, and then two years in, they think you're shit, and then you you've got some sort of bullshit cause served on you. You've got to then prove yourself that cause is incorrect. So yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope. I get it, but um, just an interesting one that we noted. So we'll have our coaches. Essentially, a coaches' union, a players' union, a GM's union. What's next? I mean, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Sava and these guys try to form an owners' union soon. <laughs> an owners' union—that would be great. <laughs> That'll be great. Led by the Legion of Doom. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, holding an axe. All right, next one, last one before we get onto some Australian stuff. Tristan Thompson, a quote that you probably like. It's the quote reads: "I don't need no fucking coach to inspire me." So after the game, NBA champion Tristan Thompson had a lot to say about the Kings, and a clip of him speaking can be seen in a tweet that is embedded below on the Twitter account of the Kings on NBCS. "Quote: You got to be ready to play. Your numbers called. You're in the damn game. I don't need no fucking coach to inspire me." Thompson said to reporters, "Never that. Never have. Never will. The day I need a coach to inspire me is the day I fucking retire." <laughs> fair, bro. Yeah, it's fair because they were saying that like. I think Luke Walton was under scrutiny and on the hot seat shocker. You know, every coach on every second of every fucking day in Sacramento is on the hot seat, it seems like. And he's basically saying that, look, it's the players. If if we can't fucking play and get this shit done, and this is what how I read it. Like, I don't need a coach to fucking inspire me. I'm going to just get this shit done because I'm a player. I'm going to suck it up. I'm going to get it done. And I'm going to fucking play. And that's basically it. Like, to me, I judge a coach by are they prepared? Do they make adjustments? How are their ATOs and how are they down the clutch? 
And yeah, the players develop, I guess, right? But like, if you go, if a team goes on a, or if you go on a, a fucking run and you don't call a timeout, you know, how you use your timeout. But like, like, how many coaches have you been around that you've been really fucking inspired? Like, is a coach going to really get you to play much better? Nah, you, maybe as a young kid who doesn't really understand the NBA and needs somebody to help him through it, maybe. But like, for the most part, once you start getting going in the NBA, it's on you. It's on the player more than the coach. The coach makes very little difference in the NBA, in my opinion. Yeah, like, I agree. And as far as totally, yeah. like it's if you need to be motivated for eighty-two games, you probably shouldn't be playing in the NBA. Um, it's, yeah, it's that simple. Every now and then, if you have a you know if you've had a ten-game lull where you're struggling and you're not shooting the ball well, it's it's more of a you know the good coaches that I've been around will call you to their office. They'll watch some film. They'll maybe say, "Hey, man, like you're you're going at eighty-five percent at practice. Sometimes maybe go at one hundred and ten and get some game quality stuff up. Maybe change your routine." They have those honest conversations with you, but if People think the NBA and pro sports are about a coach coming in with this this great talk, which we had with Mark Jackson. You know, he, he gave a boxing speech every second time out about Muhammad Ali and someone's on the ropes and someone's throwing the first jab or whatever it was. And you can only use those once or twice a year, to three times a year, you know, and it's it's just one of those things. I remember <laughs> I remember once with Mark Jackson, we were – I've probably told this story. I don't know if I've told you this story, but we're playing in Dallas. So you, you probably were there at the time. You guys were punching us. We were down – this is Mark Jackson. We, we were down – I think we are down like 35 at halftime, right? Right? <laughs> just one of those road trips, one of those games, playing like shit. He called in, a, he had a friend at the game that was a pastor. He called him in at halftime. Instead of the halftime speech, he, he had the pastor just give us a sermon, right? No kidding. Yeah, we ended up losing by 55 instead of 35, but that's that's a story for another day. But yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like, did that, you know, so if we would have won that game, was that the motiv- motivating factor? It's all very subjective again. And I agree with Tristan Thompson. He's come, he's been, he got drafted to a shitty environment. They were bad in Cleveland early on. Then LeBron came and then they won some, you know, won a championship were part of many finals runs so he understood what the daily grind is and probably understood that hey T. Lou's not rah-rahing us every day he used that infamous speech after uh, game five we're coming back to grab our cash when he put it in the ceiling apparently other than that he probably didn't spend all his bullets at once so he, he would know and I totally agree if, if you need people think Luke Walton's not motivating him that's probably more a player issue than it is a coach issue yeah look for a player it's all about your routine it's all about how you handle adversity and it, it, how much character you have like, that's going to get you through the night. It's not your coach. There's no, I don't give a fuck how many ATOs your coach could drop on the board or how many fucking rah, 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 Cisco blah, fucking speeches they give you. You got to be able to dig out of these holes yourself. And it's the only way you're going to get out of it is having a routine that works for you, having a work ethic, you know, and having some fucking pride. And he's right. Like, he gets himself out of this shit. Coach is not. What the fuck is a coach going to say? You know, you got to get downhill or all that bullshit they like to say, space and base, all that shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, all that shit out of a fucking you know, fortune cookie from a fucking Chinese food restaurant. Give me a fucking break. Like, that shit ain't – I've seen those fucking speeches. They're all bullshit. You know, the player has to say they got to look themselves in the mirror. They got to suck it the fuck up, and they got to get the job done. You know, the coach ain't going to do it. Yeah, the coach is going to drop that play. He's going to use his timeout. He's going to do some things and be prepared. That's what a coach does and make adjustments. But the fucking players are the ones that are going to get him through it. Yeah, and, and arguably the, co- the head coach has enough stresses that I would even argue that the assistants and the guys like yourself and your role, player development, that's probably more their role as well is when a, yeah. when a player needs motivation or is in a rut, you, you know, the coach – Coach can only manage one, you know, one out of the fifteen so many times. You've got fifteen players to manage. You've got rosters. You got shit. Who am I making inactive tonight? Who's it, who's active? Who am I calling up? So it definitely 
Folks, most assistants want to inspire guys that are averaging 17 points or more a game. If you dip, if you're dipping below like eight points a game, they ain't going to give you many fucking speeches, brother. <laughs> They're going to run for the fucking hills. All right. But yeah, you're right. Some assistant coaches do have to put their arm around players and fucking talk them through it. Usually it's the like rookies that have, or the first couple of year guys that you really got to like, they got to figure their shit out. But like guys like Tristan Thompson, what are you going to say to fucking Tristan? He's been through every type of team, awful teams, finals teams, championship. He's been through a thousand coaches. He knows like what the fuck to do. So he could get, he's, he's going to be the one getting him out of it. If you got to like, you know, if you got to like give him that Muhammad Ali shit every day, it's just, you know, he's in the wrong fucking sport. Yeah. You know? You're just wasting time on, on, on things that don't matter as well. So that's, you know, head coach's job is X's and O's rotations, trying to get better and win the next game. The last thing you need to do is like, have I lost the group? Do we maybe need to go bowling or go to some laser tag and build <laughs> oh, up some shit. camaraderie? I've been through that bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has. Everyone has in every sport probably. And there's yeah. a time and a place for those as well. Don't get me wrong, but not when you're in a rut. All right, real quick, NBL, the preseason has started. It is about what I expected. It's kind of hard in the NBL, much like the NBA. There's even less amounts of games, so it's kind of hard to judge. I think the league is going to be pretty close for the most part. It's hard to pick that bottom, the bottom four or five from last season. There could be some surprises there. There's a bunch of rookies rookie head coaches that have come into the league Perth have one Brisbane and Adelaide and, and Tasmania as well so there's a bunch of unknowns we don't really know usual suspects will be up the top I believe but um, look the preseason wasn't great viewing for those of you who tuned in I think the NBL let a little bit slip the production wasn't very good. It was a budget production, which was clearly seen. And I guess it was frustrating trying to follow the games. Um, talking like it was an intern with a camcorder type stuff, bro, for the preseason. Oh games. shit! It, it, it wasn't wasn't well produced. Um, sometimes didn't have commentary. They forgot to plug the audio in. I'm not sure what they were doing. The live stats on the app would, would ever really work. So just a bit of. Uh, encouragement that if you if it's going to be to that level just don't televise it that's my opinion i think just don't televise it keep it closed door open door for fans don't televise it let the fans post photos they're at the exclusive preseason games make it a big thing like that don't televise it because i think you do more damage to your brand doing it half-assed than doing it at all but um yeah i mean some 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 decent games a lot of young talent actually in our league pro a lot of next stars potential draft prospects for next year not just australian but from overseas so i think it's going to be a fun year all in all, and and I will be doing a uh, preseason wrap next week with with a, a, a great of Australian basketball and a, a commentator great um, who's been around the game for many years. So I'll do my preview. I'll boot you off that uh, that preview pro. We'll do that on Australian time because you'll probably be sleeping, cuddled up to your teddy bear at that point. But um, we'll add that on to next week's podcast. So stay tuned to that one. Yeah, way to way to communicate with me on that one, brother. I appreciate. I just it. told you. <laughs> Thanks. Unless you want to wake up at, uh, what is it, 1 a.m.? 1.30 a.m. I think it's scheduled for. Ah, fuck. And let's be honest, guys, like, sure. what are you bringing to an NBL preseason preview? That's a good point. That's a good point. I'll let you guys stroke each other, so I'm good. All right, give, give us your pick for the who's going to win the NBL next season, bro. Let's hear it here first. Do you even know all nine of the t- can you nine? Can you name all the teams in the league? Fuck no, I can't. I'm, <laughs> I'm here for comedic relief. I, I know my role. Shit. Exactly, so stop giving me shit. Because I just put it back on you and you got nutter. All right. Stats, useful or useless? I saw this one as well and you you added it to the list. While mid-range shots have generally fallen out of vogue in the NBA over the last decade, Duran has made a lot of – Duran has made them his calling card. Duran is shooting a whopping 70.3% 
between 16 feet away from the basket and the three-point line, better known as the mid-range game, the shot of death. Um, our guy, H-Bob, hates that shot, but 70, 70.3%. To put that into perspective, he has shot better than 50% from that range over a whole season, just twice in his past 13 active seasons. About a fifth of his shots typically come from that distance, with another fifth coming from 10 to 16 feet away. Useful or useless, pro? I think it's useful. I think it it, it tells you that you know, obviously he's dominating from that area and that's an area that a great player shoots from. Um, and I think it's useful to understand that it, look, it's not a shot that you should be shooting 80% of your shots from, but it's a shot that you're going to get. And if you can make it at a high clip, then it's going to help you. They're obviously in first place in their, in their conference. So, you know, and, and he's playing it extremely well. So I think it's a shot that people got to look at and say, look, if they're going to give it to me and I can make it at a high clip, it's there, got to shoot it. I, I think it's uh, I think it's definitely useful. Shocker, but I think it's useful. Yeah, and I don't, I don't even know what the math is of how many points that is possession on, on shooting seventy percent. So someone else can help us out with that on a calculator. But I, I but one point four, eh, a little bit more than one point four. Is it? Yeah, so it's like seventy. I mean, depending on not every possession is worth two points, but if it's if you make it seventy percent of your shots, actually from the mid range, yeah, it's only two points. So it's like one point four. It's seventy percent of two points. 1.4, so it's well above what's the league average. It's like one point. Is it 1.1 1. 1 or 1.11 1. 1 or something like that? That's a good reason to get Bob back on the show. So it is. I know, so I know it's I know it's low ones somewhere there. One point something, isn't it? Um, when you look at yeah, you look at possessions and all that kind of stuff, and then you got to factor in free throws as well. But I could be completely wrong. But uh, I know it's well above what they're trying to get per game, which is kind of interesting because it is deemed as a as a death shot. All right, we're gonna go to. Who do you think the lead? You probably saw the chart, bro. But if you haven't, who do you think the leading scorer is in the NBA in the paint to date? In the paint, hmm. I haven't seen it. I'm gonna guess Giannis, but that's just me. John Morant. No shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he's put out a post saying that you know, with that highlighted, saying that I was you know too skinny, too small to play in the NBA. He's leading the league in points in the paint at the moment. Um, there's a cool chart, courtesy of sideline sources that they posted um, on the Instagram. So you know, if you want to see it probably be a few of their slides back by the time you hear this podcast, but it, it breaks down all the quadrants of the court. Um, it's pretty cool. So it's got top of the key three. Who do you think that would be? Top of the key three. Is that Steph Curry? Yeah, it's Steph Curry. So Steph Curry owns the top of the key, the left wing and the right wing. Left corner is Grayson Allen. Right corner is Joe Harris. Then we take a step inside the free th- inside the three-point line. Who do you think's owning free throw line area two-point shots? Um, leading scorers. Not, this is a percentage, so keep Durant aside. Yeah. Who's got the most points from the free throw area? I'm gonna, ask, I'm gonna say maybe Paul George. Close, Demar Derozan, obvious one. Oh, um, then you've got left kind of block extended between the block and the elbow is Russell Westbrook. This one was interesting. Left kind of short corner to three point line. Who do you think that would be? This one, this one threw me off. Mm, maybe Chris Paul. Tyler Harrow. No shit. Yeah. But just a strange shot. Like he, that just tells me he's in the corner for spot up threes a lot, and he's pump faking, getting one dribble pull ups. Yeah, right. Up, yeah, yeah. That's an interesting one. Paul George is on the list. He's on the right short corner. So same thing. That must be a pump fake. Get into your and they and they actually post him on that side a fair bit as well. The last one you should get. Who would have between the block and the elbow on the right side of the floor? Who's made the most? Oh, 
once you hear the name, you it's a no-brainer. And you might have mentioned this name already. Probably Chris Paul, if I was yeah, guess. bang, Chris Paul coming yeah. off that pick and roll, going right downhill, that's sneaking his, it. That's his money shot. But an interesting chart, I think. Um, I find that very useful because it just gives you number one. It gives you how dominant Steph Curry is from three. He owns three spots league wide for the the most scores from those spots. But then yeah, some weird some weird ones. Westbrook being in there is one that I found strange. DeRosa makes sense. Ja Morant shocked me, but yeah, the Tyler Hero from the the left short corner is an interesting one. Useful, useless pro for you. Oh, useful. Useful. It's always good to see who dominates spots. It's uh, those, shot, those shot charts are good. I know the NBA, NBA.com does them and, and it's really valuable to watch if you're, if you're really studying the game. Uh, they got them on every player, every team. So it's always good to see where, where, what quadrants of the courts you know, players are doing well and not so well from. So that's, I, I say it's very useful. I'm a big fan of those kind of analytics and stats. Um, not really analytics, they're more stats, but uh, I'm a big fan of those. All right, last one. Did you watch the Lakers-Boston game? I did not. I did not. <laughs> All right. So on the Boston sports telecast, they interviewed Dennis Schroeder mm-hmm. after the game. He had, a, I think he had 20-something, 6-6. Six and six. I think it's 26, 6-6 six and six or something like that. They won 130 mm-hmm. to 108. So whoever runs the control room there for – what is that? NBC Sports Boston. Mm-hmm. They put a caption next to Dennis Schroeder's name saying, quote, you're paying Russ how much? <laughs> no, no, sorry. It says you're, you're paying Russ $44 million, LOL. This is on the live telecast. So there's an actual, you know, when the little label comes up with the name of who they're interviewing. Yeah. It said you're paying Russ $44 million, LOL, and it's got a smiley face. <laughs> It's got a smiley face of Dennis Schroeder. Useful or useless, bro? For now, it's useful. Because uh, uh, I mean, it is. It is hilarious. It is hilarious. It's very useful to me to be, you know. It's funny because you would never think in a million years that anybody would write that on a telecast. No way. Like, it's, like think- it's like social media shit. I like it. I love the troll. Yeah, yeah. Love a good troll. Yeah. Yeah, that's how it's going to go. Like, you know, like it started with team – Social media accounts going at each other. Now it's going to be telecasts. It's like I said, it's fucking anarchy everywhere. It's it's you know fucking Mad Max beyond Thunderdome. It's you know it's well, just if one place is stuck in the in the past is TV telecast. So I think it's needed to yeah. an extent to engage that young crowd that likes that kind of back and forth banter. It's kind of Twitter ish, Instagram ish. I think it's a smart move. It's pretty fun. It's pretty fun. No doubt about it. I like it. I like it. I think it was hilarious. I had a good chuckle out loud when I saw that shit and just saw that. That was pretty ex- good. The exact still shot they've used of Schroeder is him smiling too, which is uh, a fair point because <laughs> yeah. they, they uh, famously turned down paying him the max and and essentially gave, traded for Russ, who's arguably making more and hasn't worked out for him so far. And then uh, Schroeder got the win. But Boston aren't doing that well neither, so we can't get uh, too ahead of ourselves. Fact or fake news, bro? What do you have? Folks, first one, Jimmy Butler's fucking playing his ass off right now, averaging 25. Five, six, and six, basically. Would you put Jimmy Butler right now in your top five in MVP candidates? Oh, I probably wouldn't. I've still got Jokic up there. I've got Steph, KD, Jokic. I think Giannis is still up there. Even he has the best. He, sorry, he's had a good start, but not as good as it's been in the past. And I think Embiid's going to be up there as well. Um, but his problem is games played. But I think he's – I'd get, I'd go top 10, so I'd say fake news. But he's having a hell of a year. I think if it was top 10, I would have given you a fact, but fake news right now. Yeah, I got him right now. I got him at six. I got – in no order, I've got – you know, in the five, I got Durant, Luka, Giannis, Jokic, Curry. Probably Curry number one if you wanted to be honest. Outside of that, I would say him and Devin Booker, you know, maybe John Morant uh, probably playing at that next level. So is Embiid. 
but I don't have him in the top five, but he's close. I mean, he's a guy that, you know, he's a guy that I probably had, give or take, I probably had Butler at top 30, you know, in oh, like jumped. going yeah. into the year. Yeah. Yeah. And he's jumped right now as far as his play this year. He's, he's in the top 10. I got him with you. So he's probably in that six to 10 range for sure, but he's having a hell of a year. And last year, Miami was not very good. And this year, they're, you know, they're right now, they're what, top two in the East and playing really well. He missed some games too, didn't he, early on in the season? I believe he did. I I believe he did. So, Bogues, right now, the New York Knicks are struggling a little bit. As, as we, as we record, I believe they're eight and seven. They just won a game. Yep. Okay. So they just won a game. So they're at that nine and seven level right now, top seven in the East. Do they have a chance of being out of the top eight when the season, season ends? Fake news, no. I think they'll make the top eight. I think they'll be solid enough. They, they have been very inconsistent. They're, they're four and six in their last ten. They just beat, I think it was Houston, and they didn't. They didn't. It did not look convincing. It looked uh, <laughs> looked like they were going to squander that. And Houston are awful, right? I think. I think. Yeah. Not. Not. Look, the East is wide open, as we discussed earlier on, man. Like it's. It's so. They're. they're what are they? They're two and a half games. So they're. They're a game and a half of falling out of the ten completely, right? And they're they're two and a half games from being first. Like it's insane. It's insane that we're almost at twenty games in the season, and we're t- that usually there's a big you know those those bottom teams start really falling back where there's only really one team left to crack. But that's what the top ten's done now. But even without the top ten, yeah, I think they'll be in the top eight. I think they'll be about where they are. They'll be four, five, six. But um, a Thibs team, I don't, I don't, I don't count out. I think they'll they'll clean things up. They're not playing great basketball, and they're nine and seven, so it's not the end of the world for them. You know, Bogues like. It's unbelievable with how they are defensively last year compared to this year. Like last year, I keep the stats on my database that I have, team stats, and the Knicks were like top five in in scoring defense all year. Right now, they're 17, averaging 107.1 the opponents are right now. Defensively, they're definitely struggling. We talked about their new acquisitions and things like that. They're not really defensive-minded, you know, with with Fournier and and Kemba. So, they are an issue. Now, the issue that I have with them, Bogues, is like, okay, so maybe Washington's going to drop. Right. But right now you've got Milwaukee underachieving at eight and eight. You've got Atlanta underachieving at seven and nine. And you know they're both of those teams are gonna make some type of a jump. Milwaukee's probably gonna make a way bigger jump than Atlanta is. And Cleveland's most likely gonna drop. The Celtics are gonna be a dogfight. I think right now, like the Celtics, Charlotte, New York, those guys are always they're gonna be jockeying for position most of the year. The question is like, do the Knicks really have it where they could step up like they did, you know, last year? Can they get to that five? Can they get to that six? I think they do. I, I say it is I, I say it's fact. I think they do have an issue. I'm not saying it's definite, but I de- I definitely could see them dropping out of the top eight with the with the two teams that could move up. There aren't many teams I think are gonna drop. I think Charlotte's gonna be pretty good. New uh Philly, you'd never know. So I think that they have a chance of dropping out of the top eight, but it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a dogfight from that seven. I think that seven to 10, seven to 11 in the East is going to be a dogfight for some teams for sure. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it will. It's going to be close. Folks, last one. Would you, ta- uh, you take James Harden over Devin Booker right now? Well, the fact that you said right now, if I'm building, Devin Booker's younger, so – um, I would say fake news. Look, it is a tough one. Uh, I would just go based strictly on age. Devin Booker's younger and he's starting to play very, very well. 
James has better numbers. So James right now is at 21.2 points a game, 8.8 assists, 7.7 rebounds, so almost a triple-double every night, 89% from the free throw line, 38% from three, 41.6 from the field. And we go to Devin Booker, and he's, where is he at? He's similar scoring output, a little bit more, 22.7 a night, uh, 5.9 rebounds, 4.8 assists, 83.8% from the line, similar from the three-point line at 37%. So similar numbers offensively besides the assist numbers. Um, Harden's having a better year statistically. Phoenix are winning more games or close to more games, I believe, at least out of the last 10, 15 games. Uh, we're at Brooklyn 12 and 12 and 5 for Brooklyn and 12 and 3 for Phoenix. Look, right, right now, because you said right now, I would say Devin Booker because mm-hmm. he's younger. If I'm a GM, I'd, I'd probably go him, but. James is having a fantastic year. If it was career versus career, I'd take uh, James Harden. He doesn't look in great shape, folks, does he? Who, uh, James? Yeah. Nah, he looks round, but he's fuck, He's getting it done, man. This is the thing with him. Even when he was really fat at the end of that Houston stint when he came back before he got traded, he was. He still put up some huge numbers. <laughs> he just like, he's just so gifted. He's so talented offensively that he looks like you know, at times he has a Swiss ball under that jersey, but he just his, his numbers are just mind-boggling. But the concern you have with that shape is when it becomes nut-crunching time in a playoff series when you need to get into a stance and play two ends, is he yeah. in peak physical condition to do that on top of having to carry the scoring load if KD's having an off night? Probably not. But as far as regular season getting your numbers up, it looks like he can do it with one leg. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, he's always going to be able to put up points um, and put up, you know, on the offensive end for sure. If this was last year, I would probably say – James, I would say it's it, it was fact, but I think since the finals, the way the guys play it now, I, I'm gonna say Devin Booker. So I'm saying fake news. I take Devin Booker over James Harden right now because of the age, because of the juice this kid has, the shape the other guys in. Not that I mean, look, he'll probably get in better shape, obviously, through you know before the playoffs. I'm not really worried about that. He always figures it out, and they're gonna go deep. But I just – this Booker, man, I mean, some of the shit that he's been doing the last couple of months uh, – the last month or so, you know, obviously, when we played 15 games. But I watched him against the Mavericks both nights, man. He he makes some tough shots, dude. When he needs it, you know, it, it helps today. He's got CP there. But, like, I'll tell you what, it's it, – he's fun to watch. He's he's getting to be really good. He, he's a he's a very good player. And, and arguably numbers-wise, to give more to Booker, his, his usage probably will be much less than James's, I assume. I haven't looked at the numbers, but I, I would just assume. What I like about Devin is he's okay to play off the ball for stretches because we know Chris Paul is their ball handler. Sometimes Devin doesn't touch it a couple of times up the floor, and he's okay with that, whereas you know James is touching it every time down if KD is not quick firing it. So I think there's some um, disparity there that you have to kind of talk about when, when you look at those numbers. So if you put Devin in the system with Brooklyn, his numbers probably go up even more. But what I like about Devin is he's, he's okay to defer to Chris Paul for stretches of the fourth quarter or stretches of a half and, and not not be pouting about not getting touches. So I think that's an important attribute. Yeah, and they get – actually, they got really – their numbers are very close to each other as far as what they shoot. Like, they're both shooting 41. I think James at about 88. Uh, no, I, I, they're they're like in the low 40s in their field goal percentages. They're both the high 30s in their three-point shooting. And their free throw, I think James got them high 80s compared to like mid-80s for Devin. But yeah, I, I, they're both really good to watch. I just like Booker because he plays off the ball. He's a little more active and things like that. So. What would your pick be, Booker today or James in his prime in Houston? Oof. I'm probably gonna say James in his in his prime. His numbers were crazy at that time. Albeit yeah. he was shooting 500 free throws a night, but it doesn't matter. He was he was getting it done, and we, 
you know, we faced him a few times in the playoffs and he was always a tough scout. Oh, God. He was tough. I'll tell you what. In, in Oklahoma City, be right before he left for Houston, his ability to pass the ball was phenomenal. And he didn't hold it like he did in Houston. If, you, if he could ever go back to that passing versus what he did offensively with Houston, with his passing in Oklahoma City, I mean, he's he, he's relentless. Well, he kind of is. I mean, he's eight. What is he? Eight, eight assists a game. He, he, yeah. People don't realize how because because of the ISO ISO char 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 step back in Houston that he, you know, was was really good at the last five six seven years. People forgot how good of, he's a great playmaker. He doesn't need to score. He is a volume scorer, but he doesn't need to. He can actually almost run a team from that that shooting guard spot as as a point if he needed to. And that's I think why why when people looked at even we were probably cognizant of shit. Kyrie James KD. How does it all fit? Arguably, you keep. Yeah. James at the one and Kyrie at the two, if they're all healthy, right? Because I think, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great point. When he was in Oklahoma City, like I said, I, I, I remember saying this to Durant, and this wasn't like a private conversation or anything. I, I just said it my own, just sort of my own evaluation of it. Early on, I thought that they should have treated Westbrook like Dwayne Wade and got him off the ball more and put James on the ball and ran him point. Just because I thought, I always thought James was a better passer, had much better vision and I just thought he could do things as far as getting guys set up versus like if if Westbrook was pushing in transition and this guy was getting him easier shots that, you know, he'll be a more of efficient player, less ball holding, you know, because, you know, James didn't do all that ball holding stuff as much early on in, in, in Oklahoma City. I always thought that he should have been the point guard and Westbrook should have been the two, not to take away from Westbrook's game. Yeah. I just think that, that James sort of could get him – where he needed it, when he needed it. And um, yeah, it's just interesting. I don't think people understand because they just see him, like you said, with that cha-cha-cha stuff. Like they don't see how much of a great passer and great vision the guy's got. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about it. All right, that wraps up episode 43. So next week, Pro, we are going to do some NBA city rankings. Now there's 30, 30, 30, 30 odd or 29 LA, LA, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're going to do our top five and our bottom five. And there's a bunch of metric that old uh, Pro has put together in a spreadsheet. So we've got some homework to do. So stay tuned for that. But it'll it'll go through everything from hotels to, you know, the locker room to food to climate to all that kind of stuff. So stay tuned for that one. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it'll be a laugh. We'll get out some fun with it Bogues. I did this exercise a couple years back and I had to redo it because I didn't do it for Dallas. I did it for a few of the Mavericks staff guys that we ranked all the cities that we stayed in. And so obviously we didn't have Dallas in there so I had to go back but uh, I think it'll be pretty fun to do. A pretty good exercise. Yep. Catch that one next week. Uh, we're actually going to leave everyone with um, a few questions that we had on our call-in chat today. So before our podcast, every Sunday Australian time, Saturday night, generally US time. If you want to jump on and ask a question, just download the call-in app for, uh, I think it's only on iPhone at the moment. I think Android's coming, but you can jump on. You can ask us a question, interact with us. We'll give you a teaser of, of what that sounds like after this. And that will wrap the episode. Thanks, bro. Folks, thanks, brother. I'll see you soon. Uh, we're going to welcome everyone to episode 43 Q&A via call-in. Appreciate everyone joining. We have a few listeners here. If any of you would like to jump on and ask a question, feel free. All right, Chris, unmute and fire away. G'day, guys. Um, thanks for having me on again. Um, this is probably um, probably a question for you, Andrew. It's in regards to when you did the um, Howie Games podcast a few years ago. It was pro- It's probably in relation to, you know, when you sort of talked about, he sort of asked you a question regarding, you know, how do you – how do you rally players to try and play as a team when they're sort of focused on their own, 
you know, personal careers, it's like, you know, I think you sort of said, you know, you, you guys tried to sort of bond together, but they were sort of like, well, but I need to get, I need to get my stats or I'm not going to get paid my money next year. Do you think that's just a, like, is, is it a culture thing? Is it more of a, um, it's almost seems like some players would rather, you know, get paid more money as opposed to take less money as opposed to have you know success if that makes sense um what's your thoughts about that yeah no it does make sense um it, it is uh it's an interesting topic because it's um yeah basically there's two aspects in the nba and probably can probably touch on this a bit as well but you know you get paid per your you know production and and your your stats but it kind of goes through ebbs and flows especially with analytics there's some people that will study analytics and be like well if this guy was with us and getting X amount of minutes, he'd be much better. So we might overpay him as a young talent. But it's, it's actually gone the other way at times as well, where there's there's um notorious stat patterns on on shitty teams that, that put up twenty and ten, but teams kind of know good teams know that shit. Like he might not fit into a into a, a system that that's trying to win. So there's a balance there. But look, yeah, it is. I mean, it's you're averaging nine rebounds and you can steal steal a tenth rebound off your teammate. And average a double double for the season that can that can be much better in your agents marketing tools for getting you an extension and all that kind of stuff so there's there's pros and cons to it I, I think it all comes down to money at the end of the day um and we don't see it as much in Australia because the levels of money aren't, aren't as great and a lot of the uh, contracts at least in, in, in Australian rules football and NRL they aren't heavily you know predicated towards uh, bonuses of, of rebounds and points like they do in basketball like goals or whatever like you know that kind of stuff so it's not as competitive on the court but that's the challenge that every nba team has it's it's can you put aside um your, your individual uh, motivations for the betterment of the team and that's easier said than done and it's a lot of stars or second tier stars or third tier stars have a mentality of like yeah i want to win now but on my terms so what that means is i still want to get my 25 a game whereas a new coach might come in and say hey we don't need 25 from you we'd rather get 20 but can you lift your assist totals up and move the ball a bit more that player will probably be pissed off with that and one out and that's that's kind of what we see pro what are are your thoughts around it i think that like you said money fucks everything up right and everything's motivated towards money for the most part for players so and they've always played that role of you know, putting up numbers, putting up numbers, putting up numbers. And there are very few coaches could actually sit those players down and teach them how to be winning players or how to play in a sort of a different type of system where it's got to be team first. And I think where coaches get this, I think with two things, I think that the front office has got to do their homework as far as, you know, taking the right types of players that could fit into these systems. And that's why, you know, front offices value the information that they can get from about players from other teams when they're going to acquire them through draft, trade, or free agency to try to bring in the best possible people in those roles to fit. And the second thing is I think the coach has to address that before the season even starts. I think when – and I've been around coaches that try to address it in game 30 and it's too late. I think game three is too late. I think you really need to, first of all, understand the players you're going to bring in. Second of all, you have to sort of – you have to set the precedent early and you got to use your bench as far as motivation for that. And it's a tough, it's a tough dynamic, you know, because all these players know that the more numbers they put up, the more money they're going to get. And the coaches are going to try to say, well, the more you win, the more play- teams are going to want you and it's going to up your value. And it's, it's, it's really hard to sort of sell that, especially if a player's wired to be selfish. And we know, you know that both, we know, there's about at least a hundred players in the league that are just flat out selfish. They're going to come up and just try to put up points. They have no idea how to play in a team structured environment. 
but bad teams continue to sign them because no one wants to play for those other teams. So they know they can get these vigilantes. They could put up 20 points, you know, on 22 shots, not be winning players, but you know, they put up numbers. I I think that it's tough. And I think you have to try to bring in the right type of player. And I don't, I don't think you can rally players that much. I think you could have a really good environment. Like the Spurs were back in the like late nineties, early two thousands where they could bring in one tough type of player like a Steven Jackson, right? Surrounded by with Duncan Ginobili Parker and those guys and maybe try to shield their weaknesses of being more of a, a me guy than a team guy. But it's really hard, especially when those teams are bringing four of those guys and they don't have those types of players like a Duncan Ginobili or Parker that could sort of surround them and try to make them, you know, make them try to play a better brand of basketball. So yeah, I think it's there's tough. A, and there's a mix. You look at Minnesota, they're a prime example of kind of those lines where they've got three or four good young pieces that are kind of battling for the reins of who's the number one, Towns, Edwards, um, even Russell to an extent. And then that can go either way as well. Most times it goes the wrong way. So I can give you an example from me personally, Chris. I mean, I was I was a guy in Milwaukee that was I knew I was getting 15 or 20 touches for me to to create either create a shot or for myself or for a teammate on the block every night for five or six straight years and then got to Golden State and they were trying to integrate me and keep me happy. So they they do, you know, they throw have a certain number of post touches just to keep the big fella happy. But as I as I kind of transitioned into that role, it was frustrating a little bit just because I was like, I can do more, I can do more. And then it was a realization of like there's Steph Steph and Clay on the wings as my shooters, two elite shooters. Like it's better off them taking a three than me getting an ISO post up. It just it's the reality of it that I had to suck up. And I was okay with that. Um, because I was like, you know, if I buy into a role with this team, 25, 30 minutes, rebound, hit people, be physical, block shots, you know, um, play through the high post for some assists, I'm happy with that to get wins. As long as we're winning, if we if we weren't winning, then it's a different conversation. You're like, hey, I think I can help more and maybe help us win some more games. But we, were, we started to win and it's a tough pill to swallow when you come from a system that I did where everything was predicated around me. I was, you know, the one or two option for a number of years there to then go to a fourth or fifth option. It's not the, the, the best thing to hear, but that's the reality of, of, of being on a, on a good team that's going to win. You got to, Andre Guadal is the same. He came from, I think he was an all star a couple of years in Philly and then. What? Yeah, went to went to Denver and and then came to us and and then they asked him, hey, can you come off the bench for us? You know, he probably wasn't too happy about it at the time, but then understood his role and and he was the leader of that second group that got us to a championship, won a championship one year and then the next year we didn't and then he won two more when KD was there. So that's a, another prime example of a guy who, although it was tough to hear at the time, bought into his role and and that's probably the hardest thing. It just you know. The, the league is predicated around numbers and, and, and you get paid based on, on your numbers. And sometimes guys are just like, I'd rather just get mine and be the guy on a team that's, you know, six to 10 mediocre, could make the playoffs, might not. I'd rather still have my 20, 25 points a night. And then it's a history thing as well. You're in that conversation of like, oh, maybe if he was on a better team and he would have won more, that's really not his fault. He did what he could. There's that whole conversation around the legacy piece. So there's a lot of players that would probably choose, you know, some some crazy stats over a championship, and that's just the reality of of the guys you're dealing with um, in the NBA, there, Chris. So I hope that um, that answers your question. We'll go on to the next one, Simon. Go ahead, unmute your microphone and shoot. Yeah, g'day, Bogues and Pro. Um, my favorite player when I was a kid was Horace Grant, and um, I was fortunate enough after I went to the US for my thirtieth, went to the Lakers in Miami game and bumped into Craig Sager after the game, and I asked him, you know, did he have any stories or what was his um, info on Horace Grant? And he said, oh, there was a, a story where he had the Carl Malone flu, where 
every time they played Utah, um, often he'd take the night off because Carl was just one of those players that would dominate and, he, you know, Horace couldn't get his head around it. Were there any players that you, as a player or as a coach for pro, that you just, no matter what you did, they they owned you? And conversely, any players, when you look at the schedule, you're like, yep, I'm looking forward to that game because I know I'm going to get, you know, 25 and 10 or whatever. Yeah, great question, Simon. That's a really good question, actually. Um, I guess for me, and, we, and by the way, we'd call that today, we'd call that Carl Malone-itis um, is what Horace Grant would have had. So you just put an itis on whoever's name it is. But um, early on in my career, I struggled with um, two guys. One was Dwight Howard in his prime in, in Orlando, like prime Hall of Fame uh, Dwight Howard. He was he was getting 20 to 30 touches a night. They ran a lot of good shit. Stan Van Gundy had him. You know, they'd, they'd get him ducking in the middle of the floor rather than posting up a lot. So they'd, they'd spread shooters with Hito and Rashad Lewis and, and you couldn't really double. And I was light in the ass my first two or three years. So I wasn't the strongest dude. And um, he, he just punished me. Like I never dealt with someone that was, he's somewhat undersized because he's about 6'9", 6'10", at best. And, um, but he's just, he was strong as an ox and athletic. Like they could throw it to the top of the board. So you, you kind of were stuck in a hard place. You couldn't over, over deny him because he'd slip for lobs. And I struggled with him probably for about, yeah, four or five years. And and then it's funny after after that, once I started figuring out the game grew into my body, I felt like I played him pretty well for the next six or seven years. And the other one for me was Yao Ming. He was um, in his prime when I first came in the league. He was a, he was just so tough. Um, he was he'd park himself on the block, and and he had one night where he got hot against me in Houston. And I, I just remember like doing everything right defensively, like pushing him off the block, making him work for the catch, and then he 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 felt in a rhythm and just turn either shoulder and just shoot a fadeaway right over you, not even fading really because he's seven six and you'd just be like so pissed off because he did everything right textbook and, and he he just had such a beautiful touch for a guy his height and could handle the ball well and he gave me fits um and then he obviously retired early so but i i you know as much as he hated playing some of those guys i, I definitely wouldn't take the night off I'd, I'd definitely try to have a crack and if if you if you struggle but I, I do know you know there are stories i'm sure pro has some that um there are certain guys that see that calendar matchup coming up like a horace grant and Carl Malone, where they they either get the flu the day before or they just take the night off and they, they just struggle with certain matchups. I'm sure Steph Curry has a long list of guys that don't want to, you know, don't want to guard him and might have an injury or a rest night when they, they see him on the calendar. And that's that's all part of the fun and games of the NBA pro. Do you have any any good examples of, of an itis for us? Mm, not really an itis, but, you know, because we didn't really play much defense in Dallas, let's be honest. And there weren't <laughs> many, many defensive players when I was there in six years. But, like, I'll tell you what, like a guy who killed us consistently was Devin Booker. I, I can remember a couple of times where the guy just, you know, we had pretty good leads on him and he made, you know, he came, he stormed back basically carrying Phoenix, you know, game winner, actually, you know, won another game against him in 2021. But like, I, I could have sworn he made like two or three game winners against us at home when we had comfortable leads in each of those games. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, like you said, Steph and, you know, plenty of guys just sort of lit us up, but um, it, it just depends. But, yeah, there, there are certain players. You hear certain stories about players that didn't want to get embarrassed at home and, and things like that. So they would take the night off or they would, you know, pull up lame with a bad ankle or the infamous, you know, the mental to the, the mental illness of uh of physical injuries uh, got a bad back where no one could really chart who's got a bad back and how so they say i got a sore back and they can't really pinpoint it so they sit out the night and things like that so yeah i don't know man it's a 
it's tough. But yeah, Devin Booker kicked the shit out of us almost every night they played us in the last couple of years that I was there. But um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty I mean, funny, Bogues, when you see those guys come up. Oh, no doubt. And just to finish off Simon's question, we would label like whatever, if you just took a random night off or were sore for two or three games, like us guys in the locker room, we'd pick whoever the star matchup was that you had to face and just put an itis at the end of it. So it might not even be that you're missing it for that. Like you le- legit have an injury. We're like, oh, you've got Devin Booker itis. <laughs> it was just kind of a rolling joke that we would, I'm sure pros made those comments to someone just joking around just um, to break guys' balls. But yeah, man, there, there, there definitely is a lot of shenanigans that goes on and some guys are notorious for missing certain games or certain styles of play. And, and also to finish your question, you asked, who did I like going against? For me, it was any Mike D'Antoni coach team when I was in Milwaukee because they would always play small or have a smaller five. It was Amari in um, in Phoenix, and he was he was a beast on the, on the offensive end. But I knew defensively he was he was light. I could move him around and I could get whatever shot I wanted. And then when he went to New York, uh, D'Antoni he brought him over as well. And it was they always had small guys playing the five because they like to be mobile. So I would always. I felt like I'd always have a 15, 20 point night with 10 boards and it'd be, you wouldn't even really break in a sweat against them. And, and, you know, they, they almost were okay with, with, with post up touches back then. Like, you know, they, they, they didn't want to give up threes and they didn't want to foul. So if you made, made a couple of hooks on them, they didn't really care. They just, they, they'd run the ball back up on you and try to get a three up. So that was um, one coach and one style of play that I really enjoyed playing against. Thanks for that question, Simon. We'll go to the next one from JF Unmute and Fire Away. All right. So from last week's episode, you gave Rich Paul a point. Uh, please take that back. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you made a horrendous comparison. Please take that back, mate. Please take it back. I said, I said a small like, amount of a small amount of credit. I didn't, I didn't. I was. I was. What did I give him? I think I said twenty five percent. Twenty five percent. The equivalent would be if Bill, uh, <clears throat> Ben Simmons was playing for Philadelphia, balling out, and then Rich Paul telling Philadelphia, "You know what? You don't have to pay us anymore." Like we'll just play basketball for free. That's the equivalent. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's on. fair. It's fair. It was a, it was a it was a long bow, definitely. But um, I think that there is a slight point with teams getting away teams getting away from doing it as well because it could be what JF is talking about. Is I said that um, Rich Paul has told you know John uh, has been has said that John Wall's been told to sit out by Houston. They're still paying him. They don't want to play him because they're going young. He tried to compare that to the Ben Simmons, and, and it's a it's a it's definitely not a great comparison, but my point was that if, if NBA teams can do that, let's say you're in a free agency year, mm-hmm. it can't it can affect you long term. So that was I definitely don't think it's a apples for apples. So I, I, I take that in stride. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so my question really, like, well, I, I'm not a fan of Rich Paul, but he really makes a lot of mistakes in public, right? He wants to be a public figure, a celebrity. Um, so he's really open to that criticism. I don't know any other NBA agents uh, by name, right? They don't do that kind of branding. But I'm just like curious, why do you, why does every single NBA player have an agent when the CBA is so kind of rigid and there's so many guardrails around contracts? Uh, there's probably a good portion of the league that, you know, are just giving away 2% on these deals when um, they're already predetermined by the structure of the CBA. Uh, I can bring up like plenty of examples, but restricted mm. free agents like Giannis's big contract uh, last year, he was going to sign with any team, but it was going to give him the max. I don't know why he's giving 2%. Like there was no negotiation necessary. Like all the legal agreements could be done by billable hours to be under $10,000. So. Yeah, that's a fair point. That's a very fair point. And I guess, and 2% is the low end, by the way. Um, I know some guys that were paying 4 or 5% for your- um, 
agency uh, for, for just contracts, which is just absolutely bonkers, and they're too scared to, to ask for a lower rate. But yeah, I, I think you make a fair point. I think I think if you're a max guy, it's a bit easier. But look, your agent does do some things behind the scenes that probably aren't noted. A good agent, anyway. I doubt Rich Paul's doing it. But like for instance, my agent helped me send out a you know when I first got drafted, helped me um, send out an intern to help me furnish my apartment, help me do just just get to normality of you know setting up your bills or all that kind of stuff, helping with that stuff. So that was part of the fee. Um, my agent, you know, spent a lot of money taking me out to dinner at different times. My uh, agent had helped me when I was homesick. So he did a lot of things that probably were outside of the scope that I doubt Rich Paul's doing. A few other things that you do need an agent for, putting the, the max guys aside, is that if, if you want to trade, if you are not happy, if you're not happy with your minutes, if you're not happy with your role, blah, 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 your agent would then go to the GM and try to push some buttons that way rather than, you know, me going to the media saying, I hate this coach, this is bullshit because then I'm going to get fined and all that kind of stuff. So th- there's that role as well. So look, your good agent should be, you don't want to be hearing from every day, but there are some notorious agents that you only hear about when your contract's expiring. And I know that for a fact, like some guys couldn't even get a call back, you know, once they've locked them into their uh, min deal or, or a mid-level and they've got a few max guys on their books, they're constantly taking care of those max guys. And then then it's contract time. It's like, hey man, how you doing? Oh, we, have, we should catch up with <laughs> yeah. you. Oh, by the way, yeah, yeah, your contract's up. Like we should probably talk about what numbers you want so it's a slimy game look i think they i think agents are needed if they're in the realm of what i was just talking about and my agent was david bauman still a close friend to this day I was at my wedding um really was a, a great pure uh, agent in it for the right reasons had a law degree as well which helped so he could do a lot of um other contract things for me but there are a lot of snakes that are making two to three percent for doing nothing. Like you said, I mean, do you really need to negotiate a deal for Giannis or Devin Booker or Kevin Durant? Like, probably not, right? So I would ask the question of if I'm paying you two percent of my two hundred million dollar max, what other value am I getting? What else are you bringing to the table? Like, what am I getting for this two percent besides you, you know, getting the contract from the GM and shuffling it down the table to me to sign and saying, yeah, I'm proud of you, and then giving it back to the GM because <laughs> that's that's yeah. about the extent of what you're doing. It's crazy, and I don't think Chris Paul is an agent right now. After um, Rose, or what was his? Yeah. yeah, I think it was with Rose. Yeah, because he went yeah, to New Rose York. Yeah, Rose the Knicks. Yeah, I, I don't think he got replaced. And that was a great my journey episode, by the way. I really enjoyed that one. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next one when it's going to be released. Yeah, we got to work on it. I'm getting lazy. And uh, you know, so that situation you did say where they are valuable when you're complaining for minutes or want to get traded, a did you ever make that request uh, before? Is that like spoiling a, a future my journey or, uh, and B like, what would stop you from actually going to the GM uh, yourself and saying like, this, this is b- bullshit. Well, it's awkward. It's awkward because you got to see them every day. You kind of want a conduit that like, look, we're reactive. Athletes are reactive of, of, you know, if you caught me after a bad game and I went up to the GM, I probably would have said things I regretted, you know, or, or a game I got benched or whatever. So, you know, my agent's role to an extent was being a psychologist to me as well it was like hey bogues calm down it's you know sleep on it let's chat tomorrow in the morning he had all the techniques you know to, to get me off the ledge and then he, you know if i was still pissed three four days later then i'll fly out to see you i'll go see the gm we'll have a chat so i think it's needed for that that aspect you don't it just becomes awkward if i'm if i'm going direct to the the gm they might know some things that you don't want them to know how i'm struggling because xyz or shit we're only trade this guy you know so there's all those kind of things and that's what an agent agent does and as far as me I've, I've been on record yeah i mean the year i got traded from milwaukee i asked for a trade confidentially so and i got told no uh, we're not gonna get fair value back at the time i was you know top five top ten big man in the league and they were just like we're not gonna get fair value back for a big so we're not moving you and then i broke my ankle 
two weeks later and the GM and the coach were on the hot seat and um, they made a move for Monte Ellis, which got them to the eighth seed. Didn't save their jobs, but it got them to the eighth seed. And then uh, I was in, that's how I ended up in Golden State. So that was, yeah, I, I wasn't one, I wasn't a guy that was going to go public with it. It's just one of those things. But, Pro, what, what are your thoughts around it? I think I kind of know your thoughts, but um, give us a spiel. Yeah, like for Giannis, right? Giannis was unknown coming out. So his agents did a lot of a lot of work for him throughout the draft to try to get him drafted in the right spot. And then on top of that, they don't get paid for your, you know, they don't get paid for their whole rookie deal. They take 95% of the first round picks don't pay their agent a, a fee at all. So they got to pay through that. They have to pay anywhere from ten dollars to $25,000 for your pre-draft training. Uh, they got to sort of fly to see you play. They got to, you know, they incur probably close to 100000 in expenses in your first deal. So probably out of loyalty, a lot of these guys do it. Again, most of these guys aren't paying them on the first deal. And then a lot of these agents lose their players, you know, a month before they sign their second deal. So think about putting 75, 80,000 each client of money into each client in a four or five year period and then losing, you know, losing half of them when it comes down to signing the second deal where you could actually get paid on. Now you get paid a percentage of their endorsement deals, you know, in their rookie deals. So that's where you may try to make your money up from. But um, I think there is a certain amount of loyalty there. And then like Bogue said, you don't, you don't, the player usually doesn't have the confrontational um, conversations with the, with the GM. That's the agents. That's why the agent gets paid. That Two reasons why they get paid. A, to take care of them there, you know, as far as having those conversations through negotiations, through issues they're having with playing time, role, blah, blah, blah. And then also when it's time to, you know, if you're a restricted free agent and you're an agent that actually has a lot of clients like a Rich Paul, you could, you know, you could sort of hold, you know, you could probably hold them, hold that GM hostage and say, look, if you don't sign this guy to a restrict, you know, if you, if you don't sign this guy or give him this type of deal, you're not going to get any of my players at all, you know, in free agency. So they do have a lot of clout that way. If you go to an agent with a lot of clients. The problem with that is if you're not a player that's really worth it to them, you're not making them a lot of money in your in your deal, you're you know, minimum salary guy or just hovering around that mid-level exception area, they may not answer your calls a lot if they can't get a deal for you. So they're not they're not magic workers, but they do a lot of things on the side that you know that the players aren't gonna do. They're not gonna do the day-to-day, they're not gonna call teams and try to get you a deal come midnight of that free agency, you know, come July. They're not going to try to get you traded when you want to get traded. They're not going to. So it's. I think it's important. I think they do earn their money there, that way. There's a lot of agents that don't earn their money because they don't really like when things are going great for the player. It's easy to collect that three, four percent of whatever they're making. But now when you really have to work to get them a team because you know, out of the 30 teams, there's only maybe two interested and you've got to really work to get them that deal. A lot of players with their agents, their agents won't do that for them. They won't, you know, those calls you they were answering in year one, two, five, six, that they were answering right away, getting to you every need. Now you go to year eight, nine, ten, when you're not as valuable. A lot of times, you know, I, I've I've dealt with that a lot of former all-stars, Hall of Fame players that are in the twilight of their careers, that they can't get their agent to call them back. They can't get anybody on the phone. I remember trying I remember trying to, you know, getting, you know, calling teams for guys in the last couple of summers, you know, to try to get them teams. I said, what the fuck is your agent doing, man? And they go, yeah, well, I said, yeah, no shit. Mm. You know, you know, I'm not fucking getting paid for this. So 
Yeah, I think the agents are important. Like you, like I said, they incur a lot of costs that, that, that people don't know about in the first four years of a deal, especially on a player that you don't know if you're going to get paid off on. And then also the money they had to pay them through college and high school to recruit them. So they incur a lot of bills coming into it. And maybe it's just the payback on the back end, or maybe nobody gives a fuck and the player should just fire them anyway. Who knows? But you know they do incur a lot of costs and they do a lot of work prior to that. There are some really good agents like, you know, like Bauman for, for Bogues. So there's a lot of good ones. You know, I know we talk um, about a lot of bad ones, a lot of ones who fuck up, but there are a lot of good ones that, that earn their money. There are not many of them, but that there are some. I mean, the ones you don't hear, to JF's point, there's a lot you don't hear about. And that's I think that's a good thing. I don't want my agent to be a celebrity. <laughs> I want my agent to be an agent. So I think, JF, your point around there's a lot we don't. We don't hear and know about. I think they're the good ones for what I want and what I need as an athlete. Thanks for that one, JF. 